By rattling snake and bullfrogs croak, the singing robin and jackalope. By howling coyote and gator's snout, to the crossroads we dance about. Welcome to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast, so if you want to see Austin and I get extra spicy with special guest hosts, head on over to patreon.com backslash Southern Bramble. If you subscribe, you'll get early access to podcast episodes, recorded video, monthly spell, sigil, or recipe outlines. You'll get to also ask listener questions. And if you join the top tier, you'll be acknowledged at the end of each episode. So please, if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon. I promise you won't regret it. Welcome to Southern Bramble. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin at Banex Bramble on Instagram. And we have some very special guests with us today. We have Invoking Witchcraft duo Britton Boyd and Jay Allen Cross. If you guys want to introduce yourselves. Hi, everybody. I am Jay Allen Cross, also known as at Oregon Wood Witch on Instagram. Hello, everyone. I am Britton, also known as Archaic Honey on the Instagrams. Thanks for having us. We're welcome, so happy. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. Um, it's been a long time coming. I've been listening to your podcast. I love it. Uh, I actually uh, finished your book, J. Allen Cross. Uh, do, would you want me, is J. Allen Cross the way in which I shall address you from here on? Do you prefer J? I mean, if you would like, but you can call me J or you can call me Joshua. It all works. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Um, I loved it. It was my first intro into um, American Brujeria, like just in general, any of it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It was one of those things that I felt like I knew very little about. And I feel much more knowledgeable, honestly, now that I've uh, read your words. So thank you so much for putting that out there. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for reading it. I loved it. The audiobook version was really good for anyone who's interested. It is on Audible. I was so excited about that because when they first told me it was going to be an audiobook, I was like, please get somebody who speaks Spanish. And Weiser was like, we are way ahead of you. We have the perfect person to read it. And she did such an amazing job. So I was very happy with that. And Britton, you have um, a book coming out, I believe, which is also very exciting. Yeah, I don't have a release date yet for the book because it's in, I'm in the writing stage right now, but I am working on a book. Uh, it's still a little secret, so I can't really give too many details, but obviously it's about witchcraft. Um, and I am just diligently working every day on this book and it is a labor of love, but I'm really enjoying the process. That's very exciting. It's gonna be amazing, I can't wait. I can't imagine the process of what it's like as an author spending the time and the dedication to research and and cite and 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 share and also deciding what you're going to share that's one of those yes. things as practitioners deciding what is yours uh, uh what is for public consumption uh that's one of those things honestly just all of us here are now kind of public creators this is what we do we put it out there we try to educate and it's a mixture of i feel like education and experience because i don't know everything i'm not going to claim to know everything but at the same time i like sharing what i learn along the way but sometimes i struggle with whether or not this is something i should be sharing or if it's just mine Mm -hmm. i think that's something a lot of folks face 
yeah, trying to like differentiate between like, yeah, how much is too personal and then like how you can like teach folks or facilitate teaching through your own experience because like really that's all we have is our, our experience and whatnot to share with folks and hopefully that can be translated into a lesson or just insight for another person. It's very difficult to express exactly like, like there are things that like books can't teach you or things that like written words can't exactly explain. And there's also more intuition um, in some instances, I think, you know, a lot of the work that I do personally, especially the spirit work that I do um, with conjuration and things like that is involved in a lot of like ecstatic body movement and breath work and dance. And it's very difficult to explain. You can't really explain exactly what you're doing in that instance. It, it's like, I don't know if you looked from the outside in, it would just look like I'm being a trash fag, bo like voguing and doing weird vocal deep breathing exercises. And I don't know if a publisher saw that, they'd be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it is always difficult to really explain the, the, the actual witchcraft portion because it's like, yes, you know, two pitches of rue, one pitch of Angelica root, and then let the spirit have its way with you. Like, and then, but that last part, you can't really teach. You either can kind of do it or you can, or, or you might be able to learn on your own, but it's, it's not something you can necessarily always explain. That's the hardest part. Okay, yeah, I find with like newcomers, they're always like, what's the next step? What do I do? You know, and like trying to translate that like, yeah, like Jay was saying, like the pinch of Rue, the pinch of Angelica, and then let spirit take over. It's like trying to explain how that works. It's like, you just do it. So mm -hmm. I noticed with my own work, I'm always like, just do it. And like, that's the motto of our uh, podcast. Well, our one of our mottos is pee on it. And the other motto is do witchcraft. Just like do get it. out there and go, go do it. I love how you guys end um, your podcast every single time with a do witchcraft, do it. Like, I love that. It, it's one of those things that I find um, as an online creator, I put stuff out there on a regular basis. And a lot of the things that I make are demonstrations. I'm not doing spellcraft in a 30 second TikTok video, trying to share the bare bones of something you can make your own. So a lot of times I've kind of put this out there. When I put something out on, on a video that's 30 to 45 seconds, I may be using dragon's blood incense because it's a little cone and it's easy, but it doesn't actually go into a lot of the spirit relationships I've made with how I might mix together some sort of incense to fumigation to go on coals with a couple different plants from my garden, or maybe some, some little pinch of dirt from my backyard by this huge magnolia tree that grows or whatnot. That's sort of my UPG, which of course is, is just as valid, but it's not going to, it's not going to really be always be in a book. It's not always something that, that's what I want to share instead in this video. It's going to be a cone of dragon's blood incense because it's honestly kind of an easy catch all, but that's what I'm willing to share, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and what we share too has to be very 
doable by the people watching because as soon as you're like hey there's this sort of complex thing then you get like a million questions like i don't have dragon's blood incense can i light an old shoe on fire i don't i don't believe in plants can i use um stickers like it's you, you just get like all of this stuff uh, all these different questions about it and it's like okay we have to scale this back here's a candle put a little black pepper around it, call it a day, and then and then people leave you alone. But if you if you try to share too much, then then it, it's it's like opening Pandora's box online a little bit, which really limits what you're able to show a lot of the time. It it really does because like especially if you're working from a bioregional perspective. So it's like, you know, Marshall, you're in Texas and then Austin, you're like, we're all from different locations, you know what I mean? So it's like the plants and the landscape that we live in informs our witchcraft. And then like, how do you describe that and explain that to other folks? So it's like things that I have access to another person might not have access to. And it's like, yeah, that translation of just like going out and interacting with your individual landscape and whatnot uh, mm -hmm. to find what who calls to you, who work, who you can work with. I actually released a post today, this morning on making a, a banishment suffumigation or incense. And it literally was four ingredients. Three of them you can buy at your local market. It was uh, cloves, cinnamon, black pepper, and a tiny little nug of, of uh, dragon's blood resin. And all the comments, I don't have dragon's blood resin. Can I use dragon's blood incense instead? I don't have, uh, uh, I don't have dragon's blood. I have amber. Can you make a, something that shows with amber? Or I don't have amber. I have frankincense. Can you make something that does with frankincense? And I'm like, okay, you guys, you need to understand. I looked up these ingredients. I looked up their history, their virtues, and I put this together to share. You don't even have to use the dragon's blood. You could just use the three things from the market. It doesn't have to be even substituted. This is about your relationship. I'm just sharing with you something that I like. And if you don't do it exactly like this, that is totally fine. But I find a lot of people sometimes have a hard time kind of breaking that down because when it comes to the way that so much information is shared nowadays, you have the mixture of intention is everything and there are no rules. And then you have the hardcore by the book people. And then there's somewhere in between that people are trying to figure out on their own. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sharing things online like that, it's, it always reminds me of that old book the, the when you give a mouse a cookie or whatever, and then it wants something else, and then it wants something else, and it wants something else. So sharing something like that, then everyone wants a different video based off of the things that they have. And what that really tells me when I see all those comments is that people aren't actually taking the time to, to learn, because if you actually knew your plans, if you knew your correspondences, things like that, you wouldn't have to ask for an entirely new video based on the things that you have in your cupboard. And that's something that I think we're running into is a lot of people aren't learning unless it is being spoon fed to them by creators and then they don't know how to actually do the work outside of that. And so that ends up being a big gap in people's knowledge is they just wait for creators to give it to them or they are DMing creators to get the information versus just actually learning it and then they can do it on their own. They can do their own, either their own incense from scratch or they can do their own substitutions, but that's not something that we're seeing these days. And that's something that concerns me a whole lot. I was just chatting with a friend right before we started recording and, you know, I was saying to them, I was like, you know, I think there's a little bit of a dissonance between 
like more prosing, thought-provoking work, like whether it's books or articles or things like that. Like, I don't know, I, I know people who are very um, involved in the greater witchcraft community probably like still read Pathios and, um, you know, are, are very invested into understanding thought-provoking work. But I think what is interesting is then you, you have this like creator side, the things that we do as well, but it's like, we pump out this content or we, we create this content lovingly and genuinely. But a lot of the times when you're faced with more prosing work, that's a little bit more thought-provoking or in my opinion, more interesting, it doesn't receive same attention or the same gratitude that that's not even really the word that I'm meaning but it just doesn't inspire people the same way as like oh here's how to do a candle spell mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when people, people actually have to think fix. about it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep exactly like how to use your your you know your three ingredients or you know whatever I find a lot of times I see so much misinformation online. Like, let's kind of go over a couple of these platforms. You know, we have things like TikTok, we have Facebook groups, we have Instagram, we have YouTube creators, we have Discord. Um, Tumblr is kind of now in the past. I actually was not part of the greater witchcraft community during the Tumblr days. But um, I find, I got all, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there are wonderful groups out there. There's so much knowledge and education being pumped out there nowadays because it's so readily available. But what I do find is in the mix of that is so much misinformation. And sometimes when you get these general groups going and and, and I'm, I know this, I'm a people pleaser. I don't want to necessarily feel like I am putting someone else's experience down or telling them that's, that's not quite right. Um, so I think that mentality kind of gets to create an echo chamber and a lot of these Facebook groups are on TikTok. And I recently kind of put something out that was talking about how, this is my opinion, but no, I don't believe intention is everything. Uh, it, I don't believe that it is. And I feel like I see this overgeneralization, like you can do anything with anything. You just got to use the power of the mind. And I'm like, that's mindful thinking. It's wonderful. We should all be doing it regularly. But if your intention is to drive a car and you don't get your license, you don't learn to drive, you don't have a car, how are you going to drive a car? And I'm not saying that it's all about tools. I am not saying that you have to read a thousand books. I'm just saying you have to put in the work somewhere to learn from something, someone, whether that be plant spirit allies, whether that be mm. uh, a mentor, books. I have tons of books because I like learning from different perspectives. But if I hadn't done that work, even you were talking about ecstatic dance. You have no tools, your body, that's it. You're doing an ecstatic dance and you are just, you're, you're building energy, you're sweating, you're getting into a rhythm. That's work, that is the work. So, and it's not intention. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. They can become yeah, kind of an this, echo chamber. Right, yeah. I think this whole thing where like an intention is everything does a huge disservice to spirit. You know, saying like you can use rosemary for anything is like, well, what about the spirit of rosemary? What do they have to say about the situation? And folks are forgetting 
and this is just my opinion, that witchcraft is inherently animistic. Like you have to take into consideration the spirit of the being in the, in the realm of spirit. Like that's what witches do. And I think that's being forgotten. And I love Marshall, what you were bringing up about, you know, we have TikTok, Instagram, Discord, et cetera. And how the witchcraft culture is like radically changing at a very fast rate with the, you know, with internet and everything like that. And I've been, the, something that Jay and I have pondered a lot on the, on our podcast is like, where is this taking us? Like, what is witchcraft going to look like in five, 10 years? You know, what does it look like now? And it's, it's wild the change. Like, I remember when I first stepped into it around like 2007, 2008, it was just blogs and Tumblr. <laughs> and Witchbox. Do y'all remember Witchbox? Oh my gosh, Witchbox. Witchbox. Yes, oh I God. do. <laughs> I was in middle school and I was had, had an elective where I got to be the librarian assistant. And so I'd sit behind the computer and check out books and put books back away. And during my free time, I would get on witchbox.com and I would research little things that I wanted to learn because it was one of my only accesses to the internet at the time because we didn't get it till a year later at home. Oh my gosh, that, that says a lot right there. <laughs> and the teacher actually came up to me and she goes, the other librarian is very uncomfortable with the things you've been researching lately. And we need to ask you to stop looking up which things because it's kind of scary to her. And uh, I'm like, she is a 30, 40 something year old woman with, with two children. And the seventh grader, <laughs> behind the library is scaring her with their with search injury search uh, <laughs> the search engine that literally is allowed on the middle school computer internet <laughs> exactly oh, my gosh. oh gosh it was witchbox and the um the forums was something that i was a part of in the late 90s early 2000s is all the witchcraft forums that you could find <laughs> they were oh terrible. my gosh <laughs> that reminds me, I tried to join uh, the traditional witchcraft, I think it was like traditionalwitchcraft.net or something, it was a forum, mm -hmm. and um, they had this crazy like in, in, entry process, like you had to like describe what you're about and like how you do witchcraft. And, and prove I got you're denied. not Wiccan. <laughs> right, and prove you're not Wiccan, and I got denied. I was just like a baby witch, I'm like, this feels right, you know, like this is how I work, and <laughs> And they're like, nope. And I was like, oh God, it was not, I just, there was so much like negative gatekeeping and maybe there still is, but back then I experienced like a lot of negative like gatekeeping from like old cishet white men who were just like, you gotta sleep with me to get initiated. If you're not <laughs> getting, if you're not getting fucked by the devil upon initiation, you're not a traditional witch. You're not a witch at all. <laughs> and we don't want you here. Yeah. I actually love that you said that uh, negative gatekeeping. I think that that's a really, really important thing that people need to talk about more often. People throw that word around a lot in online communities and gatekeeping actually has a purpose in specific areas. Closed practices and traditions are gatekept because they're, because they're fucking closed. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's just why. But also some of them, like I've taken a class from Jason Miller and it's very specifically built every or, or week or every other week upon every other week. So you're not supposed to know the information halfway through if you haven't learned the information at the beginning. So that is a, a very 
very specific and in, intentional act of gatekeeping. So you understand things along the way mm-hmm. with a, a, a buildup of what builds the building blocks of this, of this working, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the same reason why yeah. they don't let you into a calculus class until you've actually passed, you know, addition and multiplication and mm-hmm. <laughs> all of these other things. I know uh, Jay and I have spoken about, you know, the necessary amount of gatekeeping and and also organization, I think, within particular areas of the witchcraft community. It's funny to me how gatekeeper has turned into like a slur almost. Like I've, <laughs> I've actually seen it used in that way. It's like, you're a gatekeeper. And it's like, I'm not a gatekeeper. Oh my God, don't call <laughs> me that. And it's so weird. It's fucking weird. On my post about intention specifically, someone wrote under there in the comments, I smell gatekeepy vibes. And I was like, really? What? What exactly have I limited access and knowledge of you? What books have I said are off limits? What thing have I stood in front of and said, you can't see past this? Like, what thing have I kept from you? Everything is at your fingertips. I, I am just making a post. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I have had somebody accuse me of gatekeeping too. And I was like, I share so much like free content. I, at no point have I ever said you cannot do this thing or like put a roadblock up in front of a person. You know what I mean? It's like, you do you. Um, but there is, and I love Marshall that you brought that up, like that distinction between like, there's like positive gatekeeping and then like negative gatekeeping and whatnot. Um, and there's a spectrum there. So it can be a really good thing and like needed. Well, what's amazing though, is I often see that things that really don't matter end up getting called gatekeeping, but then actually the big actual gatekeeping things end up being totally allowed. So, you know, stuff like what you posted Marshall and then another friend of mine made a post that was like, hey, like instead of using glitter, why don't you pick a plant to substitute in for where you would use glitter? And all these people on this post were like, this is gatekeeping, this is gatekeeping. And I saw somebody else do to be like, hey, like if you're white and practicing hoodoo, maybe you like actually respect black people. And like all these comments were like, this is gatekeeping, how dare you? And like all this stuff. However, then at the same time, I have people coming to me like, oh my gosh, I really want to buy your book, but I'm only 87% Mexican and I only lived there until I was 22. Um, but I've been told that I'm not really Mexican and I can't read your book, but that's completely okay. That's like all of TikTok culture right there in a nutshell. But, um, but it's, I, that always surprises me. And I'm like, wait, this is allowed to happen. But someone being like, hey, instead of plastic on your candle, maybe you use a plant, people lose their minds and that's the part where I'm having trouble making the connection I'm like why is why why are we like this and I think the thing that kills me the most is who cares just because I told you it doesn't mean I kept you from doing it so if I say intention is everything or not everything if I say you should use this plant instead of glitter go do it I didn't stop you I didn't take that glitter from your hand (laughs) you know I'm not standing in front of this amount of information and saying you shall not pass like (laughs) you can do whatever you want I'm just sharing my opinion you can take it or leave it but at the same time there is an aspect of funny enough we literally started the episode with talking about the fact that 
some things we share about our craft, some things we don't. Is that a, a sort of level of gatekeeping in a way? Are we keeping parts of the things that we do privately to ourselves? Is that gatekeeping? Should we be sharing everything on Facebook? I mean, no, I don't think, I think that's a positive gatekeep. I think everyone should have a sense of, of this is my practice and I don't owe it to you. You can build your own. Yeah. And folks don't realize too that like when it comes to gatekeeping, it's it's not because there's something really cool behind the gate that we want to keep for ourselves. A lot of the gates in occult practice are kept for the same reason they keep the gates at the zoo, because there's a tiger in there. And if you do not know what you are doing, just waltzing into a tiger's den is not going to go well for you. Like that's why they have special people who have had special training go into the tiger den during certain times because these areas are not always safe for people just to go waltzing into. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we also have deities that gatekeep, spirits that gatekeep, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cultural practices as well, which is important. So I just find it funny, especially like, so are, are the spirits that are telling me that this is a pact that we've made, then you can't tell people about it. Um, that's, that, that would be, that's gatekeeping, right? Is my spirits <laughs> are telling me that I can't talk about certain things. I know I have a specific type of thing that I use as an offering on a, in a, a, a seasonal or, or sort of a, a depending on, depending on the basis. I have a specific thing that I use as an offering. I don't share that. It was told to me. I've sh I think I've shared it just in in like by talking about it with one specific actually with you, Austin, funny enough. But um I don't share that with a general public because that's not their business. And when people ask, like, what do you do for offerings? And I'll, I'll give a list of general offerings, but what has been given to me privately through my practice, that's that's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially in the realm of spirit work like that's such a personal private practice like I used to be super open about my practice and I, I learned my lessons uh through that and I really don't like that being an open door so it's like I don't really share very often like who I work with you know beyond like you know I'm praying to to the holy mother to M mother mary <laughs> right now and you know that's like I feel comfortable sharing that but like my spiritual corpse I don't really share that. Well, I know all of us are actually very different types of practitioners. We have different either religious or spiritual backgrounds and belief systems. I feel like, uh, Jay, I've gotten to know so much more of, of kind of what the flavor or texture of yours is from your book. And I really appreciate that. I, it's funny, I see a lot of people talking about like, I'm Christian, can I be a witch? I'm a, I, I wanna, I'm a Christian witch. And then people saying like, you can't be a Christian witch. And I'm like, well, I feel like we're getting bogged down in vocabulary and we're not actually talking about the belief systems here. And so now when people actually ask me, well, do you have any resources for Christian witchcraft? I actually recommend your book because it's one of the first ones that really stood out to me as focusing on something that, that really incorporated a lot of these Catholic beliefs and saints and Mary and God and Jesus. And that may not be my bag, but I now know so much more about it that I didn't know before. Um, and also Austin, you were one of the people that really kind of introduced me a little bit more to the folklore side. That's one of those things that took on a different 
a different flavor for me too, because now I'm much more into trad and folkloric witchcraft than ever before. I was very kind of offshoot Wiccan eclectic when I kind of got onto the online sphere because that's all I was exposed to throughout the years. And then a lot of new age shit that I had to really get like brush off my shoulders. Speaking of um, witchcraft and and the intersection of, of all these practices, divine heresy, transgression and things like that, I was curious you know, just to define a little bit, to define the undefinable, how do you, how do y'all define witchcraft personally within yourselves or, or what, what does being a witch mean to you and how does that relate to your practice or praxis? Do you even call yourself a witch in the first place? I think, I, th- I know Jay, you kind of talked about this once on OWASP, I remember. Mm. Yeah, I'm, still trying to figure out what the heck to call myself. I've I've always very much identified as a witch and, and I do still. Um, but with the actual type of magic I'm using, it was not classically considered witchcraft. Um, our modern interpretation of witchcraft is anything at all that is slightly spiritual or nature-based. So, so in modern America, witchcraft is things like herbalism and soap making and um, tarot and, but that's not generally what witchcraft was actually considered at least classically. Um, And so I am still trying to figure out what exactly I am, but for now I'm hanging out in the witch boat. um, Cause like I I do the folk magic mainly, um, which was considered separate from witchcraft, but I just, I hate the term folk magician. I feel like I'm pulling a rabbit out of a banjo and that's not the like uh, depiction that I want for myself. So I keep trying to like come up with a, a different term but none of them quite work. Like for a while I was thinking like maybe I could call myself like a charm smith, like, like one that is like making of charms which I thought was kind of cool. But then also I'm like, people are still gonna have no idea what that is. So it needs to be, it needs to be a little bit more clear than that, but but we'll see. Yeah, I'm definitely a witch. That's my my identity. It took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around that I, because like in the early phase of my witchcraft, uh, I just felt very unworthy of taking on that title and whatnot. And it took many years for me to finally feel comfortable with it. But in recent days, my practice, um, so I guess I'll get a little personal here. I got sober about two months ago and um, I've been undergoing this like spiritual reawakening. And to me, a witch, and again, you know, I like to preface with this is personal opinion because I know a lot of folks can disagree with this. A witch is a person who is of service to something and very often to me that from in my in my practice it looks like being of service to the land and to the place that I directly inhabit and advocating for that space and speaking for the unseen and um, being a voice for those who who have been silenced or have no voice you know who have been stamped out through oppression and I'm speaking of our human and non-human kin and whatnot so that's kind of like where I've been at and my, my witchcraft has been very, how can I be of service? How can I serve rather than like this 
what I see a lot now in modern pop witchcraft is this narcissism plus spell work equals modern popular witchcraft. That's kind of what <laughs> I've been sitting with lately. Um, and, you know, it's just like the self, there's like a lot of self-serving, a lot of extraction happening, I see. Folks not thinking about where they're taking from. So I'm orienting back to like this service, the witches of the land, they listen and they speak. So that's where I'm at. I think you and I, Britain, even though we, we haven't actually been able to sit down and chat about a lot of things just within what I see from you and I know of my, my own praxis, I think that we share some very similar um, belief systems and um, understandings about witchcraft and the place that we are on. Uh, for me, witchcraft, which I, I, I'm sure I've spoken on this, on this podcast, I know I've talked about it on many multiple places. My witchcraft is an act of divine heresy. It is an act of transgression. It is not a nice thing. It is not a good thing. It is not a pretty thing. Um, ultimately, to be in service to a community to the land upon which I live. It is a helpful praxis, but not necessarily in the way that I think many people would uh, consider helpful in a nice way. I often will straight up tell people like, yes, witchcraft absolutely is evil, depending on who you ask. I think it's, it's very transgressive to the greater oppressor or the oppressor as I call it, which is, you know, the overculture, which demeans and undermines the environment and the people who inhabit that environment, like you said, human and non-human kin and, I think to be a witch is to take that upon yourself and utilize that power in whichever way that you possibly can to equalize and balance those scales. And like I said, it is not pretty or kind or it's kind. I will say it is a kind practice, but kind does not equate to niceness. It is honest, it is raw, and it is real. Um, and I, I really like what you said about uh, modern witchcraft is narcissism, like a, a, some sort of self-empowerment psychological tool mixed with like some spellcraft and that that is modern witchcraft. Um, I uh, really like that you kind of said something about asking about people asking if witchcraft is evil and yes it is. I feel like it's kind of asking like, is humanity good or bad? The answer is yes. It has all sorts of different directions it could go and how it's used, depending on who you're asking, who you're referring to. Um, I feel like, especially in a lot of online spaces, witchcraft has somewhat been reduced to self-help. And um, I think there are some wonderful aspects of self-help. I think a huge portion of witchcraft as self-help actually gets into psychology. Uh, it gets into the psychological effects of how you can start empowering yourself again. But if you just kind of stop there, then I feel like you haven't really got into the depths of what's available to you spirit-wise in general. Um, it's hard for me to feel like I can define 
witchcraft because I've seen a lot of different aspects and studied different aspects of it. But for me, it really is the aspect of connecting to a larger scale uh, of spirituality, of things that exist, uh, of animism. I hate to just say it's animism because it's so much more than animism. Um, animism as a word in itself just seems so simple until I can talk about what it meant to me to grow my own garden and sing to the plants as I'm watering them, what it means when I collect herbs, when I when I remember my childhood experiences, like talking with the flowers, like these are things that like they sit with me in a spiritual way. And I'm not some witch who's up here in my in my apartment casting spells every day as much as I am living in a sense of of community with the space that I live in, with the land that I live in, um, the spirits of that space. Actually, Britain, when I heard you talk about the process of going to the crossroads, was it seven or nine, seven or nine nights in a row on I Sundays? Did, uh, I did nine Sundays in a row before dawn. That was one of the things that was just like, I'm going to, I, I, it inspired me a lot. Uh, I had read, I just finished New World Witchery, which I loved. Um, I want to do something a little bit that pushes my boundaries um, to a point that kind of, personally, I want to suspend my fear more and get a little bit more into uh, different aspects of my craft, craft that I haven't done yet, because I'm still learning and growing. And when you told that story about how it affected you and your practice. And of course, also reading some of the historical aspects of folk witchcraft and new world witchery. I was like, that's my next big thing. So that's the, actually the thing that I've been writing out recently um, that you inspired me in. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, go down to that crossroads and sell your soul. I actually live <laughs> at a crossroads, which is amazing. So I would, I'm in a city sort of area. And I'm right at the corner and there is this over hundred year old oak tree that is so, so, so large. And um, I haven't done this yet, but I have this thing in mind and I'll share it with you guys. So it's the bare bones. So it's not the whole, the whole kit and caboodle just yet, but my plan kind of was to go out there and, and walk uh, counterclockwise around all four corners of this cross crossroads and then so many times and then sit at the base of this oak tree and kind of like wait and feel what's kind of coming to me and at that point I'm going to have to start listening and I can't really plan it out anymore at that point in time just set my times set my commitment and then make sure to set my alarm and do it <laughs> mm -hmm. that sounds really fun waking up for witchcraft early in the morning is actually the hardest thing in my opinion. <laughs> I wake up at like 4.30 every morning to do my practice. I love it. It's just really? like, yeah, I do. I'm a freak. <laughs> I just love, I have ADHD. So like having a very regimented schedule is like really helpful for my brain. And um, I just find those like morning hours, they're just, they're just perfect. Nobody's out, out and about. It's quiet. All the creatures are moving around. It's that crepuscular time. I love that word. <laughs> I actually really like that you said that. I usually wake up around five every morning just because that's part of my normal schedule that I do. Not on the weekends usually, but um, it's funny you say that. Pre-dawn hours are, to me, the most one of the most liminal spaces because it feels like 
Um, it is before the world has started. It is before the hustle and bustle. And I want to extend it for forever. It feels like it could be forever. And then the sun comes up and then it's not. And then I realize that time has passed. But um, even when I was in quarantine, I remember literally waking up before the sun would rise and I would curl up with my dogs on the couch with my hot coffee. And I just remember really just loving this space that wasn't a space, it was a time. And it is a very magical time. It's a liminal time between light and dark, which mm -hmm. kind of goes into a lot of different types of plants that only grow between light and dark, different types of, of... I've actually kind of built this idea of a spell that can only be done in a doorway based off mm -hmm. of that in-between space. And um, more and more of my practice has been built off of in-between times and spaces. And uh, I didn't like read that anywhere. That's just what's been coming to me the more I get involved in my, in my practice. I love that. That sounds really cool. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, we all live in different places. So I'm curious, has your locality specifically kind of uh, affected your practice uh, by our regionalism of it, the the plants that are there, the the times of day, or the uh, uh, are you in a city? Are you in more of a, a country area? I know I talked with someone who lives out in the country and they love it, but they can't stand going into town because everyone kind of knows who they are and what they are, and they have kind of a hard time where they live, but they love the actual space they live in. Mm, yeah, so I, um, I guess I'll start. I moved from Western Oregon, which is the rainforest. And when people think of Oregon, they think of like tons of trees and, and like the rainforest and all that. Well, actually, most of Oregon is a high desert landscape. So moved east to a small town. I moved for love and it didn't work out. And I was dumped and just exiled in the middle of the desert. <laughs> And I went through this like really hard time, but I was like, you know what? I really want to stay here because the land here is so incredible. It's just like this high desert step, sagebrush growing. And then I'm surrounded around all sides by mountains. And then you can get up into the Alpine and whatnot up there. And I moved a lot as a child growing up. So I had to learn because my father was in the military. I had to learn how to pack up, relocate, connect, pack up, relocate, connect. So I had this like fairly good tool set of learning how to connect to my locality, both like with people and non-humans and whatnot. And um, it's been, I spent like two summers where I had a lot of free time and I just drove into the mountains and I went down every dusty road that I could find and just listened to the plants, looked for plants. I did a lot of botany and IDing and whatnot, and it's it's a really magical, potent space. And then coming to know about the um, indigenous folks that live on my land, which are the Umatilla, Nez Perce, Cayuse, and uh, did I say Paiute? <laughs> and the Walla Walla, There's a, it was kind of like an intersecting area for tribes where there were a lot of trade occurred and whatnot. And um, learning about that and understanding that in the context of like where I live and where I should and should not go. Um, because there are very much like places where I'm like, okay, I don't belong here. This is not for me, you know? So um, yeah, that's like, that's kind of like the root of my practice is connecting to my local landscape. And mm -hmm. the 
the native plants and the native species of my area, which are like the ponderosa and the sagebrush and then the animals here too. We have wolves um, that still are out here and whatnot. And there's always a war between the ranchers and the wolves. And that's kind of a sad, but fascinating thing to be a bear witness to, but yeah. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because Oregon, I, you're so right, because a lot of people move to Oregon thinking that the entire thing is just forest witch utopia. Um, but uh, really a huge portion of the state, like I would say probably 80% of the state is this sort of dry, deserty kind of um, ranch land throughout most of it. And the spirits on the west side of the state versus on the east side of the state are very different. Because um, I grew up on, on the east side, kind of where, where Britain is now, but I now live where they used to in on the uh, western side, which is kind of the the wetter side, and so I, I've we've both gotten to experience both. And over here, where it's it's a bit rainier, um, everything is is much more populated over here. So if even though I live in a very rural place, um, the kind of quote wild places are like state parks with trails and a bunch of people in them and stuff like that. So it's hard to be sort of alone in it. But when we go over to the east side of the state, it's it's much less populated, which means that there are these great expanses of open space that are just living their best lives without too much, you know, being being forced onto them. So we the the spirits on the other side are much more um, on the on the east side are more um I, I don't necessarily want to say aggressive um but but they're they're a little they're a little spicier over there they're scary Cause, yeah because they they're not, there's yeah. That, yeah there's still that really intense sort of native american vibe that you can still feel versus over here where everything's been built up and changed and whatever um over there it's a little bit more pure in the land and so and, and there's a very specific time in which you're driving across the state where suddenly it just dries up and everything feels different suddenly. Um, and so that's been a really unique thing to see. But either way, living rurally um, has really helped me be able to connect with, you know, not only the land, but like specific plant spirits and being able to go out and like identify actual plants where they grow, see what they look like in different seasons and whatnot, which has really impacted the work that I do as well. Mm -hmm. I totally get what you mean when you say, firstly, um, about living on a space and, and when I say connecting, I don't mean appropriatively. When I say connecting, I mean in a, in a place of service and honor, um, understanding, or um, I should better say interacting and also knowing when to not interact and what the boundaries of the first people are on the land that which you live, because it's going, it's, it's actually, um, as I've only learned further and have grown in my practice, it's fundamental because you cannot separate that. It's ingrained and embedded into the land and everything that you do. Um, here in Florida, the um, Seminole Nation, is still very active in the ecology and the ecosystem of Florida. Um, and, you know, they're, they're constantly met with um, combativeness from the federal government. But uh, 
on top of that as well, there is now, uh, like I said, I live in a more rural environment, but it's not like you, Britain, and, and uh, Jay, I don't actually quite know where you live, but like I said, there's a Publix five minutes down the road. Um, there's lots of state parks because of the New Deal uh, that happened you know, a while ago, uh, lots of land, but it's still not, it's kind of hard to find in this area, wild places. Um, but when you do come across particular spirits, some of them are very intense, very spooky, very, um, I don't even wanna say spooky as in like, ooh, spooky, that was frightening. It's just like, no, this is a boundary, I need to go. I don't interact here, this is not for me, and I have to leave. Almost to the point of being, I don't wanna say afraid to, to death. Um, it's, it's a fear with a deep amount of respect, knowing that that is so beyond you and so beyond yourself as an individual person that the terror that it instills in you is humbling and beautiful. And I, it's very weird. I'm getting very emotional about this, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I actually completely understand. I remember, um... I actually went to have a experience. I went to an ashram out in the country of Texas. Yes, there is a small ashram in Texas and I visited it for this long weekend. I was doing a, a not doing a juice cleanse, but I picked the package that I wasn't going to be consuming a lot of foods. It was focusing more on the meditation, the classes I was taking, the, the, um, uh, the journaling, the the very specific steps that I was doing while I was there. And I remember I was having trouble sleeping. I was having trouble feeling like I was connecting. I would lay awake almost all night. I don't know if it was because of the lack of, of food. <laughs> you know, when you are fasting a lot, sometimes it can mess your sleep cycles. But I remember walking out. I mean, it was almost cold. It was in the morning and the sun hadn't risen. And I walked outside and I just kind of felt this sense of what am I doing here? Is this what is this what I came out for? I feel like this isn't the experience I came for. And then it was so strange. I was sitting there staring at the horizon and the sun just started rising. And as it was rising, I mean, the whole, the whole horizon and clouds turned this, I mean, I can't describe the pink colors that were coming through. I can't describe the oranges, the, the feel, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it because I felt something shift in that moment. And everything that I was doing at the ashram, that's all good and wonderful, but that's not, it was, it was very, um, I don't want to say it was material, but it just was, uh, it was really going through the motions. Uh, but that moment, that time, something shifted. And I'm not going to sit here and be so bold, say that sunrise was for me. But it felt like it was. It felt like I was seeing and witnessing something at an extremely early time that I don't think anyone else was having that experience at that moment. And it was obviously not in the city that I live in, but it was in my Texas land. It's in my state. I'm, I'm seeing this sunrise for the first time. And I felt like like I was having this spiritual experience and it was confirming the questions that I, were ask, I was asking at the time. Um, 
we don't need to go into all the questions, but it was confirming something for me that made me realize uh, it's not just going through the motions. I am on the right track. I am connected to this space and this time, and there's a spirituality here that exists, and it's very real, and I am part of it. I'm connected to it, and it's not a spell, and it's not a god, and it's not a, a book. It's a feeling. It's an existence. And again, that's something I won't always find in a book. <laughs> That connectivity is so important because there's there's so much that happens once that that connection really takes hold. Um, one of my favorite sort of religious leaders, her name is Nadia Bowles Weber, and one time I was hearing her talk about um, holiness versus purity, and how purity is about um, removal or or separation from something, whereas holiness is about connection too and 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 bringing things together and so this idea of connectivity um in that moment that you have with it it's it's holy because we have that connection to something kind of greater than ourselves and i always love when she talked about that that idea of holiness being about that connectivity that moment felt holy to me um mm -hmm. it really did i haven't i haven't put that word to it before Switching gears a bit, I was curious, um, well, I guess uh, switching gears a little bit, but what are the particular particular spiritual or religious um, systems that kind of texturize or influence the practice upon which you live or, or upon what you do? And, or is your praxis uh, removed as spiritual or not spiritual spirituality but of religion or is that very ingrained into what you do for me it tends to be um but not always so i do identify as being catholic but more specifically folk catholic which is a little bit different um i'm very much down with this idea of god and the holy spirit and jesus and all of that that's wonderful um but i'm I'm not naive to, nor am I uh, removing the sort of witchcraft portion of it that comes from the dirt and the night and all these things, because as someone who identifies as a believer in God, I have to understand that God creates all things for a purpose. And that includes the devil, that includes demons, that includes um serpents and scorpions and things like that. And so while I look like Sister Mary Henrietta um, in most of my work, um, most people don't know that underneath um, there's a whole lot else going on because of this understanding that, that God does work in mysterious ways. And I do very much believe that God can work through evil to create something that is good and meaningful um, I once heard a quote where they said that an angel will shout through a demon if they have to, um, in order to make something happen. And so I very much believe in that as well. Mm. I was reading a book, uh, Craft of the Untamed by Nikolai Matos Priswold, and he said the devil is the un unofficial emissary of the church. And that kind of was like a perspective shift for me. I was like, yeah, yep, he is. <laughs> but in my practice, um, so I grew up very evangelical Christian and I drank the Kool-Aid big time and I'm so glad that I did because it gave me this really great foundation of faith and practice and whatnot and I uh, got baptized twice. Um, the second time I was just chasing a feeling because my first baptism, which was in Key West, Florida, 
there were like manatees swimming around. It was in the salt water. Uh, I just was overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And I was like eight, seven or eight years old. And I was just like, what the hell <laughs> as a kid, as a child. But then as I got older, you know, my practice shifted. I fell away from the church, became like pagan, did some reconstructionism and all of that. And um, I've just followed a thread more or less. And some of the influential um, aspects or, you know, like influences that I have had um, are from close practices. And that would be Ifa and Kimbanda. And I'm very, very much influenced by the work of Nikolai Matos Griswold. He wrote a book um, on Pambajira and the issues, and then wrote a book called Ifa, A Forest of Mystery. Really incredible books, but those are closed practices. So I went as far as I could in a respectful manner where I was reading about it and understood their philosophical ideas. And I was also given permission to do um, veneration within Kimbanda, you know, through a person who was initiated and I got fucking burned. Like they're very hot spirits. <laughs> you don't really want to fuck with them. So, you know, I, I worked that way and then kind of like veered away from that. Like that kind of, I wouldn't say fell away. I amalgamated it and then moved on. And right now with my practice, it's weirdly enough swinging back towards Christianity. It's so strange. And I've been feeling really weird about it. I'm like, what the hell? Like God, Jesus, Mary, what? <laughs> Help. <laughs> so I've really been um, sitting with this intersection of Christianity and witchcraft, which I mean, if you just go back and look at the old witchcraft trial records, like obviously it was there, you know what I mean? Like this notion that witchcraft has, is like this preserved ancient pagan religion that has gone through the ages is like kind of false. Um, so um, definitely there's that, that Christian element. So I've kind of been swinging back in that direction. The interplay of, I, I like, I think um, it's the uh, Clan of Tubal came, perhaps, I could be wrong, but they they kind of call, or maybe it's the cult of Sabati, but they kind of call it like the unseen religion or the the religion that like, it lingers in between like God, the devil, the spectrum of, of pagan and indigenous and it's it's just complicated. I tell people to stop asking so many questions and just go with it, honestly, and 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 just go with it and stop trying to conceptualize how God um, is or looks like or who or the gender or you know what. Like, just stop asking so many questions and be with and be present with God and the universe and all of that. And it's it's a it's yeah. Yeah, this, we've gotten so um, poetic on this on this episode. I love it. You know, it's funny. It's kind of arrogant to think that you can put God in a box and label it just so. It's kind of, it's very, again, we're back to is, human, is humanity good or evil? Yes, <laughs> because if we're going to actually go through the process of thinking we can label everything and humanize everything, personify everything, even the pagan gods and goddesses of so many pantheons were so personified, the mythos of 
Buckland's mythology, which is not really true to how it was understood in the time. That's just what we have now based off of different types of poetic prose and stories that have been handed down and rewritten to the point of being able to publish them. So there are so many aspects of spirituality now that no, it's not going to be so easily labeled and boxed. No, it's not going to be so easily gendered or sexualized. I know I, I'm a gay person. I know that I have leaned into certain types of deities that have been, uh, I, I'm putting air quotes here just so for the listeners, uh, representation of LGBTQ community. But the thing is, is a lot of them in these stories weren't really representing that idea as much as they were, or they weren't representing gayness or LGBT or transness or, or anything. They were representing a, 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 sto a story, a feeling. They were uh, representing different types of wants and needs depending on what lesson was being taught within that story. So, and I'm not saying that people out there that like to, to use gender or sexuality with their deities are wrong because you're not, that is your mm -hmm. spirituality. That is your practice. And I am one of the, I'm going to roll my eyes at myself here when I say that I am not so much of a spiritual or a religious person as much as I am spiritual because I, I did have a lot of that trauma in the church. I, I actually came out as a witch before I came out as gay. And it was easier for me to do that because it was something, funny enough, it was easier because that was a choice of mine to make. Being gay wasn't a choice and I wasn't ready to, to admit that out loud yet. So instead I could be, I, I, as an adult, I'm realizing these things now, but at the time I was so young and I came out as a witch and my mom was very against it. And and I was reading like Buckland's uh, complete book of, of witchcraft and, you know, Silver Ravenwolf and all that. And I feel like because I ended up experiencing a lot of religious trauma from my mom still making me go to church while I didn't agree with what they were teaching and then coming out as gay um, and my mom then trying to go to the same spiritual leader who said that that was wrong, it... It, it really created this whole sense of how can I exist in such an anathema to what the spirituality, my own parent, my, not my parents, my mom, my own mom is pushing on me. So um, I love my mom to death. She has grown immensely over the years. Uh, she's even read some of the books that I've suggested to her, but so I don't want mom to get a bad rap because I love her to death. And <laughs> we've talked about this, but um, there were so many aspects of the church and and how I was a symbol of what was wrong in it, that I have a hard time going back that direction of working with the idea of, of Mary or Jesus. I actually think Jesus is a pretty cool guy. He cursed a tree. <laughs> if most Christians actually followed the teachings of Jesus instead a lot of the aspects of what the church has ruled or deemed a sin or not, I'd probably have no problems at all. But I still to this day don't find myself sitting under the identity of religious as much as I do spiritual, a spiritual witch. I love that. And that's something that we see a lot too, especially with people who are, you, you know, when, whenever I try to explain, you know, the direction that I come at it from, a lot of times people do immediately have these either, either their religious trauma from upbringing or, um, 
you know, they, they point to things like, well, what about, you know, the priests who are molesting all the children and this thing that the Pope did or whatever. And I think the biggest thing that we can do in order to sort of understand is to separate the institution from the actual spirits themselves, like the church um, as an institution is awful and have done terrible things throughout history. Um, but none of those things are, are things that like God has done or that Jesus has done or Mary or any of those things. And so that's something I'm, I'm constantly trying to do with people is getting them to separate the church from God and all of them. But I love what you were saying earlier about this um, never being able to put God into a box or into a definition or into a book even, um, which it, I often find uh, through all of this work I've been doing for quite some time now, I won't say how long, but, uh, but um, I often find that God lies in the paradox or in the liminal. So anytime we ask a question of the divine, are you this or are you that? The answer is yes. Are you male or are you female? Yes. Are you... Um, are, are you one or are you many? Yes. Are you, you know, anytime we have this, this or that question, the answer is always both. Um, and yet at the same time, neither. And that's kind of the, the weird tricky thing that we have to balance. And so when people are like, you know, oh, well, you know, there's good and there's evil. It's like, yes, sure. But also both and neither. <laughs> um, and I think that's where, I think that's something important to kind of point out is this idea of the paradox or the liminal and being able to be two things at once. You actually kind of reminded me of something that was uh, uh, very nostalgic to me. I'm sure we've all seen the movie, The Craft. Yeah. And they actually made up this deity, Manon, because they wanted to be respectful to people that practiced uh, uh, Wicca at the time, which was the big predominant religion. They want to be respectful and not appropriate, steal or misconstrue. So instead they made up this deity, Manon, and they said, and I love the way they put it, because if God and the devil were playing football, Manon would be the sun that showed down on them, the field that they played on, the, the people cheering, Manon would be it all. Mm -hmm. And while I'm not here sitting here uh, worshiping Manon or anything like that, I love that reference because it actually takes a step back from the duality of the, of the which are you, and instead says it all. Mm -hmm. Have any of you ever listened to um, the song Magic is Alive, God is Afoot by Buffy San Marie? Okay, um, I know, really weird off-kilter off thing. Um, so Buffy San Marie is an indigenous uh, folk singer and rock and roll singer. Um, she has this song that is actually uh, a Leonard Cohen poem, but she's put music to it. And um, it is, uh, I, I recommend this song to people and I think they listen to it and they're just like, okay, whatever, Austin. But like literally every time that I listen to that song, it is a brief encapsulation of my feeling of, of witchcraft, of, um, God of spirituality. It is truly beautiful. I highly recommend it um, if you guys get a chance to listen because it is truly a beautiful song. I was just looking it up. I feel like I've heard that before somewhere. Um, well, I've posted it on my, I've posted it on, on my page and my stories. Okay. I feel like I heard a um, piece on Democracy Now about this person. 
I think I did. Yeah. And it sounds familiar. Specifically that goddess is alive. Magic is afoot. I feel like that's almost been used in a chant. That, that actually, um, <laughs> so the, the song God is alive is, is a Leonard Cohen poem. And I think Susanna Budapest, um, has like worked that and, and has made it, you know, um, her problematic uh, certain behaviors, but uh, the goddess is alive, magic is afoot, which I have heard used from from uh, particular like Dianic feminists uh, okay. or Dianic witchcraft. And mm-hmm. I've seen it as a bumper sticker. <laughs> okay, maybe that's what it is. I was like, I feel like I've seen that exact <laughs> phrasing before somewhere. Goddess is alive, magic is afoot. If anything, that might make a wonderful power raising chant on its mm-hmm. own. If anyone's listening and you are looking for a power raising chant this very moment, you now have one. <laughs> so, and perhaps finally, I um, was thinking about some books that I think have been really influential in the praxis of, of how, what I do. Um, there's actually one that you've mentioned before, Jay, uh, The Way the Rose. I can't remember the author, but I've, I've heard you speak Perdita about Penn it. Perdita Penn and Clark Strand. It seems like such a, I haven't read it, but it seems like an amazing book. Are there any other um, books or authors that you all, that have been really influential to your, to your praxis and, and that you might uh, recommend to other people? Um, if we're staying in that same category, kind of adjacent to the way of the rose, I always recommend that if people are interested in kind of the, um, the, the Christian flavor of witchcraft. Um, there is a book put out called Sister Carol's Book of Spells, Blessings, and Folk Magic. And it is a spell book written by a nun. And I absolutely adore it. It is the sweetest little piece of literature ever. And I, I think she did a wonderful job and I love her perspective on it. And I love that it's something that people aren't expecting. You know, when you get a spell book, you're not expecting it to be written by a nun. Um, the other things that have been really influential on me and my practice have been the work of Raven Gramassi. Um, he's done some really interesting things and um, opened up some doors and even a few windows for me as well um, on this on this journey of not necessarily actual like specific spells or anything like that, but the way I frame a lot of things or the way I think about a lot of things or the way I understand um, how this works. Um, can very much be attributed to his works, um, specifically um, Old World Witchcraft and uh, the Grimoire of the Thorn-Blooded Witch were both very impactful on me um, as a witch. Yeah, I haven't read any Raven Grimassi yet. I'm a bad witch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to dive straight, shoot, shoot the shit, but um, Apocalyptic Witchcraft by Peter Gray is hands down like the most to me important book to be reading right now um, for our times and with witchcraft. Uh, Peter Gray's work has been highly, highly influential on my practice. And what I love about his book is it's not 
it's not a how-to. There aren't spells, you know what I mean? And I, you know, at this point in my practice, I've been kind of like tired of reading, like, here's how you make a wand and here's how you make a saying. And I'm like, yep, okay, like I need more, you know what I mean? So Peter Gray really provides that extra oomph and a punch, you know, straight to the gut and his words will get your blood moving. I actually got to meet him at a conference here uh, in Oregon, uh, 2018. He's just the sweetest guy, very humble, like great. And I got to watch him uh, read an essay on Lucifer and he opened this, um, he opened the space up by, he was barefoot and he scattered roses everywhere because he works with Babylon. And then uh, he read out of the Bible encouraged everyone to to read the bible and then he ripped it up and just scattered it everywhere <laughs> i was just like yes um but then the work of nikolai matos Griswold, i really recommend his book craft of the untamed uh, he's got an excellent blog at the starry cave and he works within the traditions of ifa in kimbanda really um excellent work and perspective there he's an academic and a philosopher and so he's just got a really great uh, full spectrum there, but um, trying to think if there's any other books. I really, it's it's a small little book, but um, I love it so much by Kai Armand called Deliverance, Who Do Spells of Uncrossing Healing and Protection. And um, the book goes beyond just that, you know, like he really gets into some other stuff, but it's a great book and the work of Orion Foxwood. He just like touches my heart big time so I love his work I cried reading the flame in the cauldron because I had never yes. had anyone just really nail it the way that he did um you also might really like Via Hedera's new book um on American uh kind of folk magic it's beautiful she has done an amazing job with it um I, I think you would really like it I've gotten to I've been meaning to check that out I've gotten to read it um some of the pieces from it I have it um on scribd and it is like just reading the first handful of pages is it's this beautiful I mean you can just feel that Via has taken this very because I've, I've gotten to listen to um an interview from them and this you know, this intersectional displacement that she may has, have, and I don't want to speak for her, but like the feelings of her upbringing and, and, and moving and, and being a part of a very large family and, and all of that. Um, it's just a really beautiful book. And I, I think that is amazing. I think it captures parts of witchcraft very well. Mm. I also highly recommend um, for, for queer people, um, Witchcraft and the Gay Counterculture by Arthur Evans. Um, it is, again, uh, it's a prosing work, but it is very beautiful. Um, it was written in the 70s, so, you know, you're going to run into particular language that um, uh, I think is important to, to look at and read and, and things like that, but it is a beautiful uh, piece of work in my opinion. Isn't that published by Contagion Press, which is like a queer publisher? God bless Contagion Press. Yes, it is It is published by them. The original publishing 
was, I think, by Fag Rag Books. It was originally published in 1978. Um, Contagion Press, which is a uh, lovely small publishing company, um, ha- I think they they are reprinting it. They reprint a lot of um, works, and I just love their whole thing. It's their their um, subtitle is queer heretical and archaic and I'm just I live for that I'd have to say some of my big influences it's weird because my witchcraft has been separated by a decade my my beginning starts started literally at age 12 discovering the realness and kind of getting into it and then I went through a whole decade in my 20s of not practicing at all and then starting into my 30s and they look so different from each other um but one of the most more recent and I've, I've i've mentioned her before like Gemma gary has been a huge influence on on my practice um i've read a bunch of her books a uh, traditional witchcraft a book of cornish ways the black toad the black toad's one of my absolute favorites if you can spring for the hard copy or the sorry, hard copy the uh the hardback book it's just so gorgeous it's so beautiful it's black with this gold emblem like gold leaf toad on the front it's it's so it's not about aesthetics, let's move on. <laughs> but a lot of what I feel she really taught me opened up my idea to what, say, Christianity's relationship with witchcraft is, what the, the relationship of the devil with witchcraft, the understanding that this, this creature, this identity of the devil is not necessarily what I have thought the devil is in Christianity my whole life. Um, it's also opened me up to understanding things outside of Wicca. It was my first jump into a completely different direction of, of, of practicing because I was very exposed to Silver Raven Wolf, very exposed to a lot of these earlier types, of, a lot of Scott Cunningham when I was younger. And then to jump into Gemma Gary's traditional witchcraft and the Booka and uh, you know, initiation by going to the churchyard at midnight and walking around it nine times to to declare yourself like this was so heretical to me. And it completely changed my perspective on what I was doing. I wasn't just calling the elements of earth, air, fire and water. I wasn't just I wasn't just working with, you know, my little my little pinnacle tile on my altar and my chalice and my and my incense, I was working with something big, something that exists everywhere. And one of the things that that led me to was Crooked Path by Keldon, because Keldon actually, funny enough, the foreword and the Crooked Path was by Gemma Gary because she was very influential to him as well. And he took a lot of those teachings and, or they took a lot of those teachings and completely made them applicable to where you live. You didn't have to live in one specific area that had this rock that you would go to and dance around on this date. It didn't just have the Bukka or the Bukka Guida and the Bukka Du. It, uh, they took the craft and made it much more bioregional, localized, and took the ideas and archetypes and made them, I want to say easy because nothing nothing getting to know all this is necessarily easy, but it made it much more personal to me and where I live. And I really appreciate that because I feel like a lot of people don't end up reading books that are a little too localized because they feel it won't apply to them. But my favorite thing about Gemma Gary is how she shares her tradition 
and I can take those elements and use them in my own personal one. Uh, that really opened the floodgates to different ideas for me. And I had never considered using animal byproducts or parts in my spellcraft. I had never considered uh, the actual animism of, of the plants that I'm working with before I, I started working with, with her teachings. I always thought about, okay, I need a pinch of this and an ingredient of that. I'm like, I'm cooking something. And that's not really what it is at all. And I feel like a lot of, of novitiates and beginners are still so stuck on the, I don't have that ingredient. What should I use? Um, so it really opened my eyes on how I can make my craft mine. That's beautiful. Yeah, I feel like we've come full circle because that's kind of where we started off with was like talking about that, like not having the perfect specific ingredient for spell work and yeah. I totally agree. And like make it your own. Yes. So the lesson of the day is your craft is your own make it your own, but make it have purpose. Don't just do anything for anything's sake. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Be impactful, be purposeful, and be authentic, please. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been this has been a wonderful experience. I'm so glad I get to personally know you guys so much more. I've been listening to your podcast every single time you drop a new episode. So now I feel like now I feel like we're old friends. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Thank yes. you. It's good to see you guys and get to hang out with you. Yes, thank you yeah, all so much. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I look forward to more. And until then... Do witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs>